And we're going to go to the book of Hosea, chapter 4. Some of you are saying, I've never been here before. We actually have been. I keep track of that. Yet a long time ago. Chapter 4 starts off, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites. Because the Lord has charges to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds. And the bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it will waste away. The beasts of the fields, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. Let no one bring a charge. Let no one accuse another. For your people are like those who bring charges against a priest who stumble day and night and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother. My people will be destroyed by a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest because you have ignored the the law of God. I will also ignore your children. The more priests that there were, the more they sinned against me and they exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish on their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish them both for in their ways and repay them for their deeds. Now in today's sermon, we've come up with a small change. I've actually been working on one of the requested sermons, and if you're a visitor today, you may not be aware of this, but we let you request sermons, and then as I get to them, we get to them. I have one that I'm going to save for January. I was working really hard on it. God said, no, we got to do this one. This is my first ever I did not have to tear one up, okay? Normally, I just tear them up, but no, it's, it's, we're saving it. But today's one is inspired here for somebody sitting here today, and I guarantee you, somebody here is going to get something out of it. And everybody else, you might get something too. I'm going to give you, because it's such an important topic, I'm going to give you a summary of today's, of what we're looking at in God's Holy Word today. A lack of knowledge, a lack of loyalty runs rampant in our world today. And if we're honest, in far too many churches, many truly do not stand for anything or even commit to anything. They are blown around like the fall leaves in a windstorm, swirling around, going this way and that. Long ago, the prophet cried out, my people are destroyed by a lack of knowledge. As Christians, or as Americans even, you have, have you been disturbed by the demonstrations that have swept across our country during these past few weeks. Despite your whatever your own private feelings are, how have you reacted to chants and signs that say, from the river to the sea, or Hitler was right? Yes, some in the crowd are Muslim, but many are not. The majority seem to be college-age or university-age students, along with their instructors and faculty, and they're all wearing masks so you can't see their face. Well, not all of them. But some of those, we've actually seen whenever whenever there's a protest going on. They seem to be a diverse group. 
And yet, they're all united in their chants from the river to the sea. Or Hitler was right. Do they really mean that, what they're chanting? Do they know what from the river to the sea means, or Hitler was right means? And do they really believe it? Are they committed to what they're chanting? May God help us if they do. Now, did you see this last week? A TV reporter was mingling in with the protesters. Do you guys ever watch the news? I do. I, I watch it, see what's going on. And he was asking a girl holding up a sign. And, and I, I actually found the sign. I'm not going to put it up there because it said Hitler was right and she had a big sign. And if the Jewish babies and children should put, be put in gas ovens. And she answers, well, no, of course not. Then he asked her, why are you holding up that sign? Well, somebody gave it to me to hold up, so I'm just holding it up. That She had no idea what her message was. She was just holding up a sign of protesting. Then he asked another one holding a sign from the river to the sea. He, he asked him if every Jew should be killed. That's because that's what that means, from the river to the sea. Every, and she refused to give any answer. But right after that answer, if you were watching, you could see people all around her saying, yes, all Jews everywhere, kill all Jews. That's what they were saying, chanting. They weren't Muslims, they were college students. I mean, or of that age. They may not have been in college. I do not want to give, they were just younger people. There, and there were some white hair people in there too. Now, if you had the time to do further investigation, and there's a couple great sites I went to, but I, they did a lot of it for me, and they showed a lot of pictures, it would reveal that some of the demonstrators were very familiar faces. They have key demonstrators they lock in, and they can all tell it because they're wearing ear things. They got this little curly line back here, and that's where the photographers are lining in. See, they were seen at earlier demonstrations like Black Lives Matter or Defund the Police, and they've been seen tra- setting fires and trashing, and they're paid instigators. They're actually paid protesters. They got little microphones in there telling them where to go and what to do. And we actually experienced that here in North Dakota somewhat. A few years ago, we had the, the, viola- the, the protests over the pipeline, and I was shopping the mall, and all these guys come running in, the cops were going to arrest them. And I looked at this guy, and he was going to give me trouble, and I told him he wasn't big enough, and that didn't go over really well. <laughs> but he had other people, because he, he got extra money. He got $700 if he got arrested. He only got $400 if he was good. So, I mean, yeah, it didn't go over well. Now, so getting to our sermon. There are all kinds of thinking out there. And I believe this kind of thinking is what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he told the Ephesian Christians in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, write it down for later, it's 4 through 11 through 14 if I remember right, that God gave some to be the apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastors, some to be teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. Then we will no longer be like infants, tossed back and forth in the waves, blowing here and there, by every wind of teaching, by every cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful, scheming ways. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about exactly is what's happening in our country today. We got people believing everything. A lack of knowledge. A lack of biblical knowledge. Back of no- history knowledge. A lack of any knowledge. 
And with that comes a lack of loyalty that runs rampant in our world today. Many truly do not stand for anything or even are committed to anything. They're blown like fall leaves in a windstorm, swirling around this way and that. And many actually have an agenda, though. And they work very hard to, in that whirlwind, to grab as many of those leaves as they can to pull them to their agenda. Now, there's an old poet, name of G.S. Kennedy. And he tells of an explorer that brought back a chameleon, to which his English household named it Billy. Billy the Lizard. And he was going out to explore, and he left Billy with his butler. And his butler showed him to his many friends. Oh, it was great. Then, and then when the explorer returned, he asked him how Billy was. Well, sir, the butler said, it was like this. We put Billy on a green rug, and he turned as green as Ireland. And we put him on a red rug, and he turned as red as Russia. And then some bloody fool put him on a patchwork quilt. And poor Billy had a nervous breakdown and burst into a million pieces. That's our world today. What do the words loyalty or commitment mean? In the Webster's Dictionary, in one of their descriptions, they, they define it as a state, or the state, or a quality of being dedicated to a cause or activity. It can also be translated as allegiance or faithful. And we need whatever you wish to call them. We need it so desperately in this land that we live in. And we need it in our churches today also. So ask yourself, to what am I loyal to today? If we want to get our world back on track, if we want to get the churches back on track, we need to commit ourselves and our lives to the ways of God. Now, here's another old story. A Danish philosopher named Kyrgyz, that's hard to pronounce, I had to Google that several times, whose writings, they're really deep and complex and require much thought and contempt. you got to really be pondering them as you're trying to read them. A great deep thinker. He gets a nice statue. That's the only picture I could find of him. He told a simple parable, though. And it fits so perfectly in our times and our world today. It's how easy it is to slide into complacency. I want you to listen to this parable. I'm going to go slow. One spring, a duck was flying north in a flock. And in the Danish countryside, this particular duck spotted a barnyard filled with tame ducks. And the duck dropped down and discovered these ducks had wonderful corn to eat. So he stayed for an hour, then for a day, and then a week went by, and then a month. And because the corn was so good and it was so safe in the barnyard, our duck ended up staying there the whole summer. 
Then one fall day, some wild ducks flew overhead, quacking as they winged their way south. He looked up and heard them, and he stirred with a sense of strange joy and delight as the ducks were flying over. Then with all his might, he began flapping his wings and rose in the air and began to join his comrades in the for a trip south. But all that fine corn had made the ducks soft and easy and heavy. And he couldn't manage to fly any higher than the barn roof. So he dropped back down in the barnyard and sat himself, said to himself, oh well, my life here is safe and good and the food is really good, so I'm okay. After that spring, as they passed overhead, for a minute his eyes would gleam and he'd start flapping his wings with almost out realizing. But then came a day when the others who had passed overhead uttering their cry and the now tame duck would pay him the slightest reply. Sadly, many of our churches here in America and church attenders have been attacked by the disease of complacency. It seems just like that barnyard duck. Many American Christians have been spoiled. And in the process, have forgotten whose we are and to whom we are to be. The church has fallen asleep in America. It didn't happen overnight. Complacency is a disease that sneaks up on us. We've just dozed off into dreamland. It's time to wake up and to repent and to get serious about our commitment to God. Fortunately, there are many examples of people in the Bible who demonstrate complete and total dedication to Almighty God. And we all need, all we need to do is look at them, to read them, and to Pray for understandings of God's instructions to us in here today. For example, back in the Old Testament, Daniel. He was taken in captivity in Babylon at a very young age. But even in his youth, he was fully committed to God. He committed himself to not eating unclean food in a foreign country. He committed himself to the commands of God. And even though they, they were strange. It was strange. All, all those people around him were just strange in Babylon. He stood strong in a culture that commanded him to bow down to the dark world around him. He committed to only worshiping God. Even when almost everyone else was worshiping the king of a foreign land. Now we have in the New Testament, John the Baptizer. I like John, right? He was kind of in-your-face type person. He was fully committed to God. Having no fear when he preached openly against adultery, sexual immorality, especially that of the king. He proclaimed the truth. 
And it ultimately cost him his life, his head. John's life is an example to us sitting here today of the seriousness which we are to approach the Christian life and our calls to ministry, whatever they may be. John lived his life to introduce others to Jesus Christ. He was focused on a mission that God had given him. John also knew the importance of repenting of one's sins in order to live a holy life, a holy and righteous life. As a servant of God, he was also unafraid of speaking the truth, even when it meant calling out people such as Herod and the Pharisees for their sinful behavior. John was entrusted with the unique ministry. Yet we too here sitting today are called upon to share the truth of Jesus with others. We can follow John's example of faith and obedience, trusting in God as we live a life to proclaim his truth in a in whatever life circumstances we find ourselves in. Now, I consider Stephen. I like Stephen, you lay person. And all that happened to him, as recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 6 and 7. If you want some homework this week, you should read 6 and 7. He wasn't a preacher. He was just a lay person. And you can it's there for you to read to this day. He was a man full of God's grace and power, and he preached to the Jews about what they'd done to Jesus. He preached to the Jews about the history they knew, and he preached. And he told them they were a stiff-necked people. And he said, your hearts and ears are uncircumcised. You are like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. He was completely loyal to the gospel message. And it cost him his life. I'm going to take you to Acts chapter 7. When the man, members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. By the way, this is the only time recorded that he was standing next in that seat. Look, he said, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing there at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears yelling at the top of the voices, and they rushed him, dragged him out to the city and began stoning him. Meanwhile, the, the witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Then he said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing. Saul became Paul. But at that time, he was Saul. He was completely sold and committed out to God. Even in his days when he was persecuting Christians and Saul, he always was committed to God. Paul was completely committed, so God had to set him straight. Because he was Saul at one time. So that the world would hear the good news. I'm going to take you to Acts Chapter 9. 
And it says here in the beginning, verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murder threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. And if he found any there belonging to the way, that's what we churches used to be called, whether men or women, he'd take him as prisoners in Jerusalem. They were selling him into slavery. Long story. Then, on the near Damascus, it goes down. He said, I heard... As I neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Bit of trivia, he did not know the Lord's voice. He knew someone was speaking, but he did not recognize the Lord's voice. He said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Getting back to the verses. Now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Yes, Lord, answered Ananias. Here's a man that knew God's voice. And because he listened to God's voice, a bit of trivia here, he was never, never promised he was going to live through the event or not be sold into slavery or not be thrown into jail. God said, I need you to go, go. Nowhere in there did God promise him anything. He said, this man, Saul, is going to be my person to share the good news. So I need you to go. So faithfully he went. He even got to ask God why. God said, don't matter, go. How would you like, a bit of trivia here, now sidebar, you weren't promised you're going to live through this, but you got to go see this man who's already had people killed and put people in jail. And God's told you, go sit, sit, see him. And bet you notice here, when you read this later, Ananias was told after God told Saul. See, God knew Ananias well enough to say, I'm going to send Ananias. Then he bothered to tell him. You know, because Ananias knew his voice. But let me get back to our message here. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus, the leading persecutor of the Christians, was perhaps the greatest event in church history next to the coming of our Savior and the Holy Spirit. Then actually the next greatest event would happen after this with the conversion of the Gentiles. That's Acts chapter 10 where Saul, who becomes Paul, would become the apostles to the Gentile. God was continuing to work out his plan to bring the gospel to the world. Paul was a great man, said Charles Spurgeon. And I have no doubt that on the way to Damascus Road, he rode a very high horse. If you're not country, you don't know what that means. But Spurgeon was. On the way to Damascus, he rode a very high horse. But a few seconds later, A few seconds is all that sufficed to change a man. And God brought him down. The account of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus is given three times in the book of Acts. It's that important. Chapter 9, chapter 22, and chapter 26. And when you look at Saul on the road, you see a very zealous man who thought he was doing God a service by persecuting the church. In spite of his great learning, Saul was spiritually blind and did not understand what the Old Testament really taught about the Messiah. 
like so many of his other countrymen, he stumbled over the cross because he depended on his own righteousness and not on the righteousness of God. Many self-righteous, so-called religious people today do not see their need for a Savior and resent it when you tell them that they're sinners. Saul wasted churches in Judea and then got the authority for the high priest to go to Damascus to hunt them down there. This was no insignificant enterprise for the authority of the high council of Israel was behind him. On the road to Damascus, Saul suddenly found himself on the ground. Saul of Tarsus made some wonderful discoveries that day. Begin with, he discovered to his surprise that Jesus of Nazareth was alive. And if Jesus was alive, then Saul had to change his mind about Jesus and his message. He had to repent. Now, that was a difficult thing, and it is still a difficult thing for a self-righteous Pharisee to do or self-righteous people to do. you got to repent. Saul also discovered that he was a lost sinner and was in danger of the judgment of God. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Whoa. Did that don't curl your toes? You aren't alive. Saul thought that he'd been serving God. When in reality, he'd been persecuting the Messiah. I can give you two or three sermons on that right now of the modern world, but we don't have time. See, the Lord had a special work for Saul to do. The Hebrew Hebrews would become the apostle to the Gentiles. A man who would never even touch a a Gentile would become their apostle. The persecutor became the preacher. The legalistic Pharisee would become the great proclaimer of the grace of God. Some 30 years later, Paul wrote that Christ had apprehended him on, I love that, apprehended him. On the Damascus Road. Now that's recorded in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. If you want to check it out. Saul was out to arrest others. When the Lord arrested him. He had to lose his religion before he could gain the righteousness of Christ. His salvation was certainly a great encouragement to any lost sinner. For if the chief of sinners could be saved, then anybody could be saved. And Paul admitted he was the chief of sinners. He wasn't even questioned in that. Allow me to say this very clearly here. God can use even the most obscure saint. Were it not for the conversion of Saul, we would never have heard of Ananias. And yet Ananias had an important role to play 
and the ongoing work of the church. Many well, well, let's word it this way. There are many well-known servants of God that were made well-known servants of God by lesser-known people that nobody ever knows the name of that played a role in the ongoing work of the church. The, the believers that influenced, the believers that shared the gospel, the person you never heard of is just as important. When Saul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, his loyalty to God was solid as ever. However, he needed a change of vision to see Jesus who he really was. And with that change of vision, his loyalty even grew stronger. Throughout his ministry, throughout all the times in prison, all the attempts on his life, Paul remained loyal to the Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ. When others might have been thrown up their hands and say, I quit, I've had enough. Saul was there. Each of these stories, I see four things that we can use in our lives today to awaken our loyalty to God and not our family. First, each one made a deliberate decision to be loyal to God. It's not just a whim, it's a deliberate decision. It didn't happen by accident. In the same way, we too must make a deliberate decision to be loyal. Loyalty does not come from indecisiveness. I'm going to show you a picture here now. This here is the Spanish explorer Cortez. And when he and his ships landed in Mexico with his 500 men, if you go study the store, he burned all the ships. They may not, do they teach that in school anymore, that the history, you know, that, that weird course that tells us what not to do again, you know. But when they landed there, he burned all the ships. Now his men realized that they had to be committed to staying and succeeding because there was no turning back, there's no way off until they built new ships. In our world today, marriage has become sort of a temporary thing. If it doesn't work out, I'll just walk away. No commitment, no sacrifice. Secondly, for many Christians... For many, the church has become a temporary thing, jumping from church to church when we feel offended. Now, I'm not talking leaving a church that's giving you false teaching. I'm talking, I don't like the color of the carpet. Or, the windows were dirty. Or, the kids are noisy. Okay, well, you're noisy too. You know, I mean, we all make noises. See, there's no commitment no dedication and sacrifice in far too many churches. Worshiping God has become a temporary thing for far too many. I'm not talking to you. See, that's the problem. When I give one of these sermons, you all think I'm talking to you. I'm not talking. I'm talking the church as a whole. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I ain't here to beat up the people who are doing it right, I'm, but I got to share the message. So understand this. See, they worship God when it's convenient. They show up Christmas and Easter. And, oh, and, if, and any family member should show around, right? So they can look good. But they've turned their backs on God and doing things their own way. And yet worse, 
the way of the world. And when there's the least bit of opposition, they turn to the world. There's no commitment, no sacrifice. And that's what Jesus was talking about in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then another man said, follow me. He said, follow me. But the man replied, first let me go home and bury my father. And Jesus had him let the dead bury the dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. No one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. Those are all tough teachings, and there's sermons coming up in January on them. And it, you got to understand the nature and what Jesus is talking about. He was talking about commitment to people who weren't committed. He was trying to break through their barriers. See, but the truth is, we all may have to give up things. Some of us have had to give up people who are bad for us. Some of us have had to give up our selfishness. Some have given up self-centeredness. Loyalty requires giving up anything that hinders our dedication to God. Third, loyalty is total commitment. Not just a contribution. Paul didn't just preach a message of the gospel when it was convenient. He didn't just give a contribution. He gave his life literally to God. And as did Stephen, as did others throughout history, they gave their lives to God. What's the difference between contributing and committing, you may ask? I'm going to help your breakfast here. We got a picture for you. Perhaps I can be best explained by eggs and bacon. With eggs, the hen contributes. But when it comes to bacon, the pig is totally committed. That's the big difference. Okay, how many of you like bacon? Is bacon a single food group? Amen. That and blackberry pies. It's a simple illustration, but it's absolutely true. God has called us to be committed, not just contributing. Being committed is so much more than just attending. Helping out around the church or giving a good offering. So many in the world that we live in need to stop playing church and start living church. Now, I'm not talking to you, but I'm talking to the world. You understand, I'm sharing the world. Because, in fairness, I might be talking to one person here, but you understand I'm not beating you up. Being faithful to God as the head of the church is important. We are his bride. We have made a commitment to him. Now, understand, I'm not speaking badly of contributing to the church or its activities or doing work. It definitely goes things. This church would not be pretty if people hadn't showed up to get it pretty. There's things we need to do. People are showing up this afternoon to set up a baptistry. 
for other churches to help out. It's things we do. We need to be loyal. With our spiritual lives, it, that's obvious. And our, and our spiritual lives should be so obvious that it's obvious in our behavior, actually. Let's just word it that way. In our personal integrity and in our faithfulness at home and family, communion, and it, it, everything's based on God. Being loyal to God should be evident in the way we live. The things we watch, the places we go, in every aspect of our life. And finally, finally, they remain loyal to God regardless of how other people acted or treated them. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den because he prayed to God. John the baptizer was beheaded. Okay? Stephen was faithful unto death, stoning unto death. Saul, Paul and Silas remained loyal regardless of the times they were in prison because God, of their commitment to God, they remained loyal. And the message of grace appeared everywhere. The dark world around us doesn't mind if you just go to church. If you, The church is what it is. But, we'll be if it gets committed. See, they don't mind if you go to church and aren't committed and you're just content to show up once in a while. But woe be it if you're committed. See, when it doesn't really make a difference in our lives, the world basically wants us to roll over and give up at the first sign of difficulty. The world doesn't want us to remain faithful. Through the times of adversaries and struggles and personal attacks. But if through the tests of our faith and our loyalty, we remain true, our faith will be stronger and we will be examples to others. Just as we talked about those today were examples to us. It's time to wake up. It's time to re-examine our loyalty to God. It's time for the church to be true. See, this here is called the Bible. It's 66 different books. God gave it to us. There's rules in it. There's two sections. There's old and new. There's poetry, history, and all this good stuff. But God gives us these rules for their for our goodness. The, the Israelites, when they were walking in the wilderness, got the food commandments because they were sanitation rules. If you study the ten the rules that they were given on food, it was all about safety of food. It was to keep them alive. It was to make them better. See, God, God has rules for you, for family, for children. See, we got little babies going across the pews. I'm watching the little baby. See, God looks down on you as a newborn Christian and looks at you with that same fondness. No one can be upset with the brand new baby. But he calls us to grow up. In your bulletin, there's a thing about milk, right? You weren't supposed to stay on milk your entire life. You're supposed to grow up, right? If you don't know God's word, how are you going to know how to grow up? So, I'm just being honest. You can tell a person who's committed because they're in God's word. Now, some of you like to read it. Some of you like to listen to it. Some of you like to sing it. You know the hymnals are full of God's word? 
You know those things in the pews I can't get replacements for? That, that thing in here called a hymnal? They don't print it anymore. I gotta go on eBay to buy used ones. Cause they're not printing them anymore. Cause, yeah, no, really, really. Watch this. This thing here. Printed in 1990 something. I don't even remember the year it was printed. 1993. No longer printed. Can't buy one from the publisher. So if I want to get new ones, I gotta go on eBay and buy used ones. Cause, it seems like a hymnal isn't important in the church anymore. I'm not saying we have to only do hymns. We blend. But the great traditions keep us solid so we don't get sidetracked to the future. You can get sidetracked. You can get off the gospel message. And it takes bravery to keep your church and your people on track. But if you don't know the gospel message, you can't keep them on track. And some of you come from churches that weren't on track at a time and you came here and you helped keep us on track I have sermons that you request I do them I don't I'm not bashful but think about this you can't buy a hymnal replacement I'm not saying do hymns all the time but that's just a symbol of what's going on in our world it's a symbol of what's happening to God's word But you have to remember, you're strong, you're here. But I'm teaching, I'm telling you what the whole world says. Don't be beat up at the end, but understand, we got to know what's outside these walls so we can remain strong. So we need to close in prayer. Yes, we do. I, I got to do something first. I always got to do something. <laughs> This is what I've been looking at the whole sermon. Okay. This is cute. Oh, we got to put Binky back in. We want, oh, we want hands. Let's close in prayer. Because this is the future right here that I hold on my hand. The future of our kingdom is this baby. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your throne and we ask blessings upon all the children of this church. We thank you, Father, for each one of them. We thank you that we can be babes in your womb. We can be a babe in your arms. You called us to grow and mature, but you've allowed us the time to do it. Now help us to be strong in a world that is so dark, so crazy, that people would say Hitler was right. And from the river to the sea. And they don't even know what they're talking about. But somebody handed them a sign. Give us the wisdom to know the truth from the throne of God and not the truth of the world. And all God's people said, Amen.